Hello, you're very welcome back to another ladvice.ie. Let's get talking, let's get sharing podcast episode. In today's episode, I'm joined by Connell Harper, the founder of CBT Ireland. Uh, it's an Instagram page that he runs. And in the discussion, we talk about mental health, anxiety, internal critic, and so much more. So if that sounds like something that you're into, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the episode. You wanted to just give a brief introduction as to who you were and kind of what your background is and then just take it from there, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So um, my background is in psychiatric and mental health nursing, uh, and I graduated there in 2013. And since there, I've spent the last eight years doing postgraduate courses and my master's in CBT. And uh, I did a year of research in Trinity while I was working, uh, developing an online teaching tool, which is actually how to teach therapists how to do CBT effectively. Uh, and then I started in the Coombe um, back in February and set up the CBT department in the Coombe, which is primarily um, pregnant women, obviously, and new mammies. And uh, I do a bit of private practice in Castle Knox. And I kind of specialize in anxiety, uh, low self-esteem, low mood, and obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's kind of my, that's my stuff. That's my... <laughs> Brilliant. That's all I have for you, I'm afraid. Well, that, that's plenty, and uh, I think ho- uh, we can bring some real value to the people who have joined us. I think particularly with the times that we're living in now, and you know, I suppose we're nearly a year into it now at this stage, but people's lives have been flipped upside down somewhat, and their habits and routines have been they've been forced to change them. Um, some of those changes may have been maybe ones that they'll keep, but some of them are ones that they will look forward to getting back to things as normal as you know normal whatever normal was before so i think maybe now or this year more than ever people have kind of come to realize or maybe accepted that everyone has mental health and mental health is something that can be you know good at times and can be bad at times as well and now it's important to try and build up kind of maybe it's habits or routines or kind of little daily check-ins that we can put in place in order to make sure that we maintain it at a, at a good level, uh, albeit it will fluctuate as well. So maybe if we kind of just talked about mental health in general um, and how kind of people maybe are experiencing um, something for the first time and how we can kind of bring about, just shed some light on the topic of conversation. When the, when the first lockdown came in and I think the first lockdown was a bit of a novelty for a lot of people um, and people were kind of we had, we had a lot of good weather as well which kind of helped mm-hmm. um, and then not so much by the second lockdown I think people were fed up, the novelty was finished and I think there's a lot of mixed messages coming from the media, there's a lot of kind of uh, unclear news coming from Instagram, there's a lot of kind of COVID deniers, vaccine deniers and stuff and I think that kind of thing doesn't really help people um, structure their own thoughts and beliefs on it. I, I, I think in terms of the mental health suffering, I think you're right. A lot of people were out of kilter with their routine, um, getting up at a certain time, going to bed at a certain time, a lot of people out of work, and also a very uncertain future for an awful lot of people, which is really, really challenging. Um, and I suppose there's a thing called, uh, called sub-threshold diagnosis. So it's not that you're quite diagnosed with anxiety, but that you have symptoms of anxiety. Um, mm. So it's not kind of chronic or persistent. 
but it, it does go on quite a bit for quite a long time and you know trying to manage that is very difficult and I think that's something that we were hoping to discuss a little bit more later on yeah so I think um, maybe even if we do go into kind of anxiety and kind of the people's worries and stresses and stuff I suppose um me personally I would never be someone or I would never consider myself someone who suffers with anxiety per se there is times maybe when I would have anxious thoughts uh, and I would get worried and, and maybe flustered um but I would then just kind of acknowledge them and then try to work through them as best I can within that moment and not allow it to spiral out of control, I suppose. But for yeah. for people for people who do suffer with anxiety, or, or may, maybe even people who have had similar experience to what I've had, um, mm. is, there, is there something that you would suggest that they kind of try to deploy in those moments or those situations where they're feeling that particular way um, in order to try and help themselves? anxiety but at times you can suffer from anxious thoughts um, and I suppose the second thing is that anything I say um, this is kind of what I would do myself personally because it's very hard to obviously I can't yes. give um, advice as such specifically to people um, so consider this more of an educational nugget than uh, direct advice but I, I think anxiety can kind of manifest in a couple of ways and I think for a lot of people uh, watching or that have ever suffered anxiety that identify with their thoughts going too fast to catch up with. Um, so you can have what's kind of called uh, cognitive anxiety, so it's in your head, so the thoughts are going too fast, and what happens is that you're thinking about all these various thoughts and you catastrophize to the worst case scenario, mm. and then it feels like things are out of control. The second form of anxiety, I suppose, is kind of where it's more physical and it's more your, your panic disorder um, anxiety. You might feel tight chest, racing heart, lump in your throat, dry mouth, weak legs, uh, sweaty hands, flushed face, those kind of things. Um, and uh, I, I suppose a lot of people forget that, you know, anxiety is actually quite a useful tool. So if we go back, say, 10,000 years ago, if the two of us were walking through a jungle and the tiger jumped out, if you react off anxiety and you're just gone, the chances are you'll survive. If I stop and I logically think about what's in front of me, the tiger, think, yeah. this isn't a good idea, mm. I'm in a lot of trouble, you leg it, you survive, I turn into dinner, you evolve. So anxiety as an evolutionary tool has been quite helpful for people. Uh, I suppose in this day and age, for people living in Dublin, Ireland, it's unlikely you'll meet a tiger. But it's the same symptoms that that can manifest. But for a lot of people, anxiety serves as a very useful risk radar, such because you're more aware of what's going on, and people feel that if they didn't have anxiety, would they be wise to the dangers in the world? Would they be as aware of them? So it's actually quite hard to separate people out from anxiety. I know it's quite a complex idea, but I'm sure that people watching, hopefully, I've, I've explained that well enough. No, well, I suppose it, it makes sense and it's something that you can kind of tie back to that, that whole thing of when you encounter a problem or an issue or a situation, it's that whole thing of a fight or flight kind of uh, reaction where um, anxiety is kind of saying, oh, fuck, no, this isn't good, I don't like it, and trying to remove themselves from that situation uh, as best possible. But at the same time, it can be can be a good thing in that sense, but also the negative aspect is, is that called kind of whole thing of being consumed by your thoughts and not, you know, not being able to kind of control that. Um, mm. 
so that's definitely a challenge that maybe people are facing for the first time this year or maybe so they've they've kind of you know faced throughout their life i think one of the one of the kind of areas where people would feel anxious thoughts uh, or maybe maybe not quite anxiety would be with regards to the un- the unknown there's a lot of things this year that you know everything is new there's a lot of new things being introduced to people for the first time um and even me personally i'd say i kind of i kind of knew that it would happen but i think maybe we all knew it would happen but after that first lockdown you were kind of slightly worried or concerned as to how people would then go back and respond and react to things being open again um, and then yeah. kind of you know what that would then entail and that meet leading to future lockdowns and stuff so yeah. um yeah i think i think it's definitely something that that people have faced this year um i think something that I, like so the first time i came across cbt and the kind of the concept of of what it is and what it does um would have been by listening to a blind boy podcast um for anyone who for anyone for anyone who is watching or listening and has never come across blind boy he is a, he does have a very good podcast as long as you can get past the limerick accent uh, for me that was a struggle um but cbt in general kind of I, that would have been something that i would have practiced regardless like it would have been something that i would have done um subconsciously it would have been something that i'd done without actually knowing the, the core concepts of what cbt was and it's basically along the lines of when you experience a thought or a worry or a stress that you would then look to challenge that with kind of i suppose let's say um a scenario where maybe you've done something and you're worried about a friend um a friend not liking you so you're kind of thinking oh fuck you know i said the wrong thing he thinks that i'm a weirdo he doesn't like me anymore doesn't want to hang out with me anymore and stuff like that and then i suppose the way that you would kind of address those thoughts or try to address them would be then to go and challenge them and come up with a counteractive argument for each of those um each of those negative thoughts i suppose that you've had um so i think that can be a really really beneficial tool for people um who do kind of struggle with um stresses worries or anxious thoughts um and that was me explaining that from someone who doesn't have the the in-depth knowledge that you might have so maybe um that would be a point that would be worth expanding on for people who maybe have never heard of cbt don't know what it is um and kind of could benefit from it yeah okay so i suppose the, the your, your understanding is actually quite in depth so I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best to go a little bit deeper if i can and i suppose that the first thing i would say is that when you think about CBT, the best way to kind of imagine it, and I, I'm going to kind of put this into the context of a client now in a minute, I'm going to make up a client and we'll, we'll go through it. So you, if you imagine um, four circles, okay, or five circles, sorry, and you've got your thoughts, your emotions, your body sensations, your behaviors, and then the consequences of that, okay? And they all connect up around the circle, okay? So... In, in terms of anxiety, I mean, one thing that can kind of happen for people is, you know, they might have a, a general thought, which is quite negative, which would be, I won't do very well at this, or this isn't going to work out, or they won't like me, or whatever it is, right? And so that's the initial thought, and then that spawns what are called thoughts about thoughts, okay, which are metacognitions, right? And I'm going to try and keep the language really as simple as I can. So a thought about a thought is that, let's say I jump onto this, uh, this chat with you, and I say, 
the, the people watching this might judge me. If they judge me, they won't like me. If they won't like me, nobody will like me. I will be alone and I'll, you know, my life will be terrible, right? So that just takes the, the negative talk all the way through. And what's kind of pushing that forward is the internal critic. So when I have that kind of thought process going on, what tends to happen is that my emotions for the next stage, my emotions, I might feel anxious, nervous, um, upset, distressed. And at times, what people kind of activate is a secondary, a control emotion, which is anger. So a lot of men, when they feel this, tend to get very angry because it's easier to punch a wall than to feel vulnerable and exposed because mm. nobody likes to feel like that. So the, the, the next stage is those bodily sensations. And for a lot of people, especially if they've ever suffered with uh, any kind of moment of anxiety, that might be a kind of emptiness in your chest, tight chest, heart racing, nausea stomach. Uh, weak legs, lumps and throat, dry mouth, sweaty hands, those things that we talked about before. And then I suppose the behavior then that that spawns, so we've got negative thoughts, spawning negative emotions, the body starts to react to that, it starts to feel very, very uncomfortable, quite tense, and we kind of just want to get out of our own skin or get out of our own head, as people kind of say. And so the behavior then might be, well, I'll avoid. I will avoid that friend that's making me feel like this, or I will avoid this task that's really, really challenging. And that has a kind of the two-pronged two result from that. The first result and the, the immediate result is we get a temporary relief, so we feel a little bit better, okay? And because we feel a little bit better, it kind of tells us, well, this is a good idea. I should keep avoiding things because it makes mm. me feel a tiny bit better. But the longer-term consequences is that we never actually challenge the initial thought. We never get to understand, uh, would this have actually worked out the way our internal thoughts have told us it would, you know? And, and for a lot of people, you know, even hearing us talk about this can be quite anxiety-inducing. It can be quite upsetting to hear this, especially if anyone suffered with kind of acute or chronic anxiety. It's quite difficult because, to an extent, you're confronting your own internal discomfort. It's very scary for people. Um, so that's kind of how CBT would work in a kind of model context, reasonably straightforward. So your thoughts connect to your emotions, connect to your body, connect to your behavior, and that gets consequences as a result. And those consequences will fuel those thoughts again. And that's kind of the most straightforward way of explaining it. So in terms of managing or coping with anxiety, one thing that's always recommended is like when we have these negative thoughts, we just try and get away from them. And what a lot of people do is they block out thoughts. Okay, and anyone that's ever had anxiety is kind of going to be familiar with this. So I'll do a very quick exercise with you and we'll see how successful you are at blocking out thoughts. This is for everyone watching as well. Right. I'm going to name three things and I don't want you to get an image of them in your head. I don't want you to imagine what they look like. I don't want you to imagine the words, the spelling, anything like that. Okay? And you tell me if you imagine it then, right? So, you know those goldfish that they have in bowls in people's houses? It's impossible not to think of it, it you know? It's absolutely impossible. We'll try, we'll, try, we'll try two more and see how you get on. Do you know elephants that they have in the zoo, the grey ones? Failed. <laughs> okay. And you know those ostriches with the two long legs and the kind of tiny head? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So most people that are listening to me now imagine the goldfish, the elephant, and the ostrich. And it just shows you that you can't actually block out your thoughts. Okay? Because you have to know what it is. It's kind of like trying to put a boundary around the house. You have to know where the house is. You can't build a fence. If I ask you to build a fence around my house and you agree to it and I tell you, but I can't tell you where the house is, that's going to be a, a crazy fence. It's going to cost you a lot more then. <laughs> yeah, it might be the biggest fence in Ireland yeah, by the time you're finished. Yeah. So I suppose it's the same with thought that you, you have to 
acknowledge what the thoughts are in order to understand them. And I suppose that's kind of where you, you realize what the thought is. You accept the thought and how it makes you feel. So you look at the emotional impact. So if, let's say, uh, one of those uh, creatures, I call it, the goldfish, if that's distressing me, if that makes me anxious, right? So uh, I understand that I thought about a goldfish in my head. It makes me feel anxious, and that's okay. Because for a lot of people, that's a negative feeling, so it's not okay to feel anxious. And this is where the internal critic kind of comes in here, because it's kind of saying, well, why are you anxious? Get over it. You need to move on. Stop mm. being anxious. Move on. Get over it. And it's important that we kind of teach a little bit of compassion to people to say, you know what? I am anxious, and that's okay. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to experience negative emotions at times, because you need them. If you're happy all the time, that'll eventually burn out. In order to be happy, you have to know what sadness is. In order to have black, you have to have white. You have to have opposites, otherwise there's nothing. But it's more about trying to come to the middle so it's easier for people to have more flexible thinking around it. Yeah, well, I suppose, I think when we talk about happiness and happiness is obviously really important um but it you know you're not going to be happy all the time and and that's just a reality of life so a kind of a way or a barometer something that i always kind of look to obtain within my life would be inner peace and when when i say inner peace i mean in a sense that you know everything that's going on in the world right now is difficult and challenging for many different reasons but but I cannot, I simply cannot control or influence many of those things that are occurring. And even though I have to acknowledge those things to a certain extent, I don't want to, to allow those things that I do not have control over and um, impact or um, take away my inner peace. So I suppose that whole thing of, you know, again, it's, it's acknowledging the, the thought or acknowledging the, the stimulus or something that's occurred and then even still trying to bring yourself back to that point of inner peace where you don't let it kind of I suppose shake you or you don't let it uh, affect you too much because obviously it will to a certain extent but it's about trying to manage that uh, in a way that is I suppose good for you. Mm, and, and I suppose just to add that as well that anxiety is something that people kind of say you know I They've only experienced it very recently, but, uh, you know, for a lot of people, anxiety develops in kind of early enough childhood, and, you know, th things happen in our childhood, and they don't have to be tremendously traumatic for us to, to, to be anxious with them. So, I mean, one of the ways to kind of view this is, you know, imagine yourself as a little fishing boat out in the ocean, okay, and your parents are a lighthouse that's perched on rocks, and you can dock your boat to it at night time when there's bad weather, okay? And for a lot of people, when there's a storm on, the parents' light will shine out and they can make their way back to their parents and they feel safe, they feel comfortable and protected. And then for a lot of people, that's not the case. Sometimes that light goes out. And as a child who's four and five, that's really scary when that light goes out and there's a storm and it's dark at night because it's very hard to orientate and find yourself in the world. And that's why people look to try and control the world around them because actually the world is making me feel bad, therefore I must control the world. I don't need to face what's going on in here. And I suppose that's not a criticism of anybody's parents because mm. a lot of people say, well, I don't want to think bad about my parents. It's not a case of thinking bad about your parents. It's just looking at, okay, well, what's the impact that my parents had on me at various times? Most people's parents are really, really good. And then sometimes, like all parents, my, my own included, sometimes they just fall short of the mark and that's, that's not a criticism, it's just that's the way it is. 
Well, I su- even I suppose, like even I suppose, obviously parents and and guardians are people who we interact with the most uh, in our early early life, and they're people who I suppose teach us uh, the ways of the world and stuff like that. Um, but even even still, there I suppose they're the main people who who would guide us. But then there is there's other people who we'd interact with. Let's say friends, um, colleagues, like not colleagues people that we were friends with in school teachers and, and stuff like that and they'd all have an impact too um and they would kind of ultimately every experience that we have right up from the day that we or the day that we were born up until the day that it is now um kind of ultimately shapes who we are and i suppose those yeah. those experiences particularly when you're when you're younger um if something was to happen to me now I would have some um, level of um, my own inhibition and my own ability to challenge what someone else might tell me is the correct or the wrong thing to do. Um, but when you're growing up, when you're growing up, um, I suppose we don't have that same capacity to challenge or to interpret things and then bring our own kind of uh, opinion and viewpoint on it that we see is best for us, uh, and that kind of yeah. ultimately is kind of where that kind of thing comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think that another thing that doesn't help with anxiety is this, this internal critic, which, you know, some people feel an internal critic is actually of some benefit to them because it's a motivator. Okay, so if I have negative thoughts that, you know, I'm going to fail this exam, if I fail the exam, I'll be crap, I'll be useless, I won't have a job. And then they kind of think, well, well, that actually motivates me to start studying harder, to work harder, put in the overtime so I get paid more. Yeah, to an extent it is actually, it can be beneficial. But I suppose you're working or studying to avoid the anxious feeling that the critic is making you feel, rather than saying to yourself, you know what, you do your best, work hard, you will achieve, you'll be fine. People are, people are working to avoid the critic rather than working to soothe themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think... Um this is this this would be a conversation that I would have had with myself previously, um, and you know the way. So, uh, I think worry and stresses and stuff like that they occur or, or they arise because we we care about things and we we don't want you know we don't want a bad thing to happen. We want good things to happen, and because you care about something, that then causes the stress. Like for example, oh well, I really hope that I pass that that exam. Yeah. I, I care about the outcome of, of that situation. Um, so a conversation that I would have had with myself, because I think, you know, I, I cared, maybe I previously would have cared too much about things. Like I, I would have, you know, I wouldn't, I would, never would have like stressed myself, but I would have, I would have um, caused um, a lot of logical, rational and analytical thinking where I would work through things quite with a fine tooth, fine tooth comb. Um, which is good, but also can be time-consuming as well and energy-consuming too. So I read a, a book that I've recently, well, it was last year, that I read was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. So um, yeah. basically the synopsis or the, the kind of the, the, the point that I would have came to or the conclusion of what I came to from reading that book was to care less, to ca- care less, but don't be careless. So yeah. I think that, that that can be really helpful when you are kind of stressing out or worried about a situation and worried about the outcome being the outcome that you don't want um, is to to care slightly less about it, but just don't be careless with regards to it. Mm. 
creating a negative emotion to name it because it's okay to feel negatively you don't always have to feel good and i think that's one of the problems with you know logging onto instagram is that these people are living lavish lives on yachts and you know driving bugattis and everyone's ripped to shreds they're in great shape and you know everyone's on a, a sunny beach and you're stuck at home in Ireland looking out and it's flashing rain and it just reminds you of the gap between where you are and where they are and it's kind of, it can be an uncomfortable feeling and I think that it's important that when you do feel a bit down that you name it and you kind of say to yourself, you know what, I am feeling like it and that's okay. Because sometimes just naming can drain some of the poison out of it because it's a relatively toxic feeling and a lot of people when they have it, they just try and avoid it. They just, they'll do anything to neutralize it. And it's important to kind of say, that's just how I'm feeling right now and create that kind of inner space to identify what that is, which is really, really challenging. I'm not, I, I'm not, um, I suppose, invalidating the difficulty that goes with that for people. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think a lot of the time when you, when we discuss these things and we're having a conversation about them, it, it is, it's easier said than done. And I don't think we're, I don't think we're trying to, um, invalidate that that statement that it is easier to say than it is to do but I suppose by even trying to consciously do it when when you are in that situation it will provide help and it will provide value to you particularly even long term because I think um, so let's say you're feeling a particular way and you do acknowledge it rather than trying to run away from the th- from the thought and you know escape it um, at least by then addressing it and kind of, as you know, don't you don't need to spend too long and dwelling on it, but by acknowledging it, at least then you know kind of what it was and how it made you feel. So then I suppose the next time around you have some form of self-awareness as to, well, that was the thought that I previously experienced and within that moment, this is how I felt. And maybe then A, a or B worked well for me on that occasion in order to make myself feel somewhat better. Uh, and maybe C and D aren't um, good things to, to try and help that situation. And, and, and that's where the importance of keeping some kind of record of what you're doing is important because for a lot of people, they go on a kind of intuition scale. So, yeah, I feel good today, things are good. And then they feel bad and they go, yeah, I feel bad, things are bad today. And it's very global statements. And mm. what, what you tend to get with anxiety and, and kind of depression, low mood and various other things is that you, you get... Uh, you get black and white thinking, so it's it's all good or it's not good, mm. bad or it's or it's, you know it's good. It's, 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 there's there's no kind of middle ground, and I suppose that keeping a record of what's actually going on in your life and how you feel is more important because people will spend up to two three hours a day scrolling Instagram or more or more. Spend, or more yeah. or more. I've been guilty of that myself. Same. Um, I was a proper gram addict a few years ago, so. You know, uh, it, it, it's funny, though, because I always hear people say, I just don't have time to do it. Mm. And I kind of say, it's that's funny because, you know, if you actually look at those apps that record how much time you spend on uh, on, on various apps, you know, I, I know one day I spent four and a half hours and I'm like, Jesus Christ, where is the time going? And then I started doing this with a few of my clients because they're like, oh, I don't have time to actually do the work. You mm. know, I'm so stressed, I don't have time. And then I got them to all install the apps as a bit of a, a project. And it was interesting that, the ones that didn't have time were spending the most time on the app. Yeah, well, I suppose this, again, this would be a 
it would have been something that I would have previously said to myself, I don't have time to, reading was one of them. I, I said, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to do that. I think, obviously, time time is, is, is definite, and there only is a certain amount of hours within the day. But I think by acknowledging that fact, and then by trying to prioritize your time towards what is what matters most to you um, and what will be most beneficial to you um, and that may not be a short-term benefit it may actually be dedicating yourself to uh, time to something on a daily basis knowing that in the long run it will be good um, yeah. so I think yeah basically with regards to the whole piece of time um, and I sp and and this is what I this is what I call a journal <laughs> It's not a diary, it's because I'm a bloke, but it's a journal. Um, and it would be something that, you know, it doesn't, you don't need to spend hours upon hours each day, um, you know, writing sweet, sweet symphonies into it. It can be just, you know, 10 minutes at the end of the day to try and say, well, look, what worked well for me today? What didn't work well? And then if things did work well, how, how did that occur or how did that arise? And then if it didn't work well, well, again, how did that occur? How did it arise? And how did it make me feel? Um, just so that there is a certain level of. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be as simplistic as to say a muscle memory, but um, to try and train your brain in a certain way that when you experience or encounter these problems, that you do have a form of um, a form of kind of response that you know will promote. Um, promote a better um i suppose an initial response that will then promote a better response thereafter and thereafter and thereafter yeah because everything you do for the first time is hard that's why it's the first time because it's difficult and, and i suppose that, that muscle memory comment kind of rings through because uh, true i should say because if you think about going to the gym the first time you go to the gym is always the worst it's absolutely miserable you're in pain for a lot of for a good few days afterwards or at least i was and then the more you go consistently, the easier it gets, and it becomes part of your routine. And you know, anyone that's ever exercised regularly, they'll realize actually my diet needs to improve now if I'm going to exercise. So it's you know, there are kind of um, other things that build onto it. Um, I, I think you know, for for a lot of people, they're going through what's kind of called an existential crisis, where it's a crisis of meaning. They don't know where their life is going because the world feels very unsure. Um, they don't know what's happening from one day to the next, and that's actually really scary for people. But one of the main ways to kind of overcome a, an existential crisis or crising of, a crisis of meaning or direction in your life is to make a plan and accept responsibility for your own life. Because it's mm. very easy to feel stuck in life. It's very easy to feel that things aren't going the way you want it to go. And a lot of people would say, I'm not very happy. Most people would say, I'm not happy where I am in my life. And that's okay if they're working towards improving it. But I suppose there's a lot of people that get stuck in what's called comfortable discomfort, where it's not really that bad, but it's not great. Yeah. And Jung calls this, in, in Jungian psychology terms, it's called individuation or self-actualization. It's kind of becoming the person you were born to be without sounding like, you know, a motivational t-shirt. Mm. But I suppose that, that, that's, you know, th there's a very important message in that because if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I suppose I suppose that it kind of that kind of resonates with what I had said previously about you know sometimes we need to do what is best for us and what's best for us what we need to do um, that is best for us may not be the best thing that is for us right now, 
but we know yeah. in a in a long term view into the future that by doing something that maybe you don't find overly enjoyable or maybe you don't find overly easy or, or something that you find is actually difficult to do can provide long term rewards and can um can help you get to that kind of person that you want to be in life. And I think that anyone that has, everybody has a goal. Everyone knows where they want to be in life. And I think that a lot of people, I'm extremely lucky. And I'll hold my hands up and say that I've got some great friends. I've got great family who are very supportive. And I think that a lot of people don't have that. Um, and I'm not downplaying how difficult it can be to muster up motivation when you're not supported. And I think that, for anybody that's kind of going through a bit of a difficult time in their life, what I would suggest is, is just sit down and write out where do you want to be, now make it realistic obviously, but where do you want to be and there's kind of five steps to doing a goal and if you Google smart goals, they're specific, measurable, attainable, yeah. realistic and time measured. Yeah. And I think that if you sit down and write that out, what I often say to people is what's called winding forward. Okay, so if my goal is to have um, you know, a private practice in five years time where do i need to be in four years time what do i need to have done to get there what do i need to have done to get there in three years two years one year six months three months two months a month two weeks what should i be doing today Mm. because now what i've done is i've taken this kind of abstract concept of you know this is where i'd like to be all the way back to where i am now and i can kind of go oh shit actually time is kind of against me and it's a bit of a motivator, and this is where it's taking responsibility for it lies. Because you often hear people say, oh, I just didn't get a chance today. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, you're, you're, you're robbing yourself. I suppose um, I've, I've, I've a quote that's cropped in, and it is one of them kind of, you said it, and I don't want to sound like a, a quote on a motivational T-shirt, but I suppose it's a short-term thrill and your future is footing the bill. So, like, something, yeah. something that you you get really good enjoyment from right now let's say let's example and this is one that i would have been guilty of and i think i don't really do as much anymore uh purely because i I just don't find the enjoyment from it that i used to but i don't know how many hours that i would have spent like stooped over and sitting in a gaming chair playing uh, fifa or playing um playing playstation and look i mean it was enjoyable and there's i don't think there's anything wrong with doing that but at the same time I think it's just monitoring and being kind of aware as to how much time you're investing in that particular task or in that particular activity and then kind of saying well based on what I want to do over the next like you've just said over the next five years or so what is this kind of helping me towards that and I do think some form of leisure and some form of kind of like um, relaxation and things that are totally unrelated to what it is that you want to do can actually they can actually although it's considered unproductive to do it it can actually help you to be productive in the long run because if you kind of constantly try and go bang 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 like constantly on the go uh, it's eventually going to become tiring i suppose a one-way ticket to burnout yes what what a lot of people do is when they make out timetables or structures or different things like that to try and motivate them to kind of set goals is that they don't actually use anything to reward themselves because the timetable should be working for you, not you working for the timetable. So if I want to do a certain, if I want to get a book read in two weeks, well, if, if you know, if I pick up, I mean, some of the clinical books that I read are, they're, they're heavy and dense, but they're not the most exciting reads. But I suppose that if I, if I want to actually get through them, sometimes I have to say to myself, you know, for a certain chapter, I'm not 
ticket I already booked about, I say to myself, if I read this, what, what's my reward? Why yeah. am I doing this? Because, yeah, there's a long-term payoff and that I kind of would understand it, but what's my actual reward? What do I get for doing it? Like, you know, something like, I don't know, a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I'm just throwing out random ideas there, but uh, I must be hungry. But I suppose mm. it, it just shows you that if, if, if my job is to read this for half an hour, then go asleep, well, there's not really any reward at the end of it. I'm not looking forward to it. It's now become a slog. I suppose, um, because this is kind of bringing up two different things for me. So one of the things that we've discussed and kind of, you know, getting to, to be where you want to be and, and improving your life with, with a, in a long-term regard, uh, working towards that goal or wherever it is that, or whatever it is that you want to do, there's obviously that, and you've kind of already said it, it's basically establishing what that long-term goal is and then um, reverse engineering that to the point where you can work back from that to create all the various subtasks and sub goals within that within that space that you need to hit and and uh, yeah. to get to where you want to be i suppose um like instagram and um, even looking at like kind of celebrity success stories and stuff we off uh, i think people often see the success they don't see the the actual journey to that success yeah. Um, and I suppose something that I'm always kind of conscious of and something that I would always say to people would be to celebrate the journey um, and then just the, 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 you know, the destination is kind of a, a bonus or a, an additional reward on top of that. Um, and it's not like, I suppose, you know, even true. So let's do the example of um, someone who wants to go and study something in college. Um, I suppose there actually is plenty of rewards uh, along the way with that with regards to nights out and stuff. But anyway, um, like, I think it can be, you know, so graduation is a big, massive occasion where it's, you know, oh, this is brilliant, fantastic. I've, I've gone and I've completed the course. But why should we wait for one day at the end of uh, a four year course to acknowledge all that we've achieved within those four years? And um, I think it's important to kind of have those kind of times of, of acknowledgement of what you've achieved um, already before you then before you then go and say uh, everything else that I have to do in order to, to, to achieve what is remaining, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, that that's the part that the critic plays, which is always focused on how far you have to go rather than how far you've come, because, again, this is kind of why it's important to try and keep track it's very easy to kind of see where you want to be in you know a few years time and, and it's great because it motivates you but then there's also the part that well what about where i am now because if i don't give myself a chance to appreciate where i am here and now and kind of you know practicing a bit of mindfulness i suppose for want of a better word you you end up feeling like there's just a constant uphill battle and life is just constantly tough and that's where the critic comes in and runs you down because you're not where you where you, you, you should be. Mm. And that's when we start getting anxious. That's when we start getting low in ourselves and become demotivated. And we start doing things that aren't necessarily as constructive. Mm. You know, and it's, again, it's, it's about investing that time in yourself because, you know, n not, not that I'm, you know, I'm all about having a good time as well, but I suppose that there's a lot of people that will go out, they'll drink Friday, they'll drink, maybe not now, but they'll drink Friday, they'll drink Saturday night and they wake up Sunday, they're hungover, and they're just waiting for the weekend to come again. Yeah. And they're just existing through life. I, I think there's nothing more sad than that. I think, um, I think suppose, you, you touched on something that I always try and, and touch on too, um, and, you know, the whole thing of living for the weekend. Um, 
And I'm not saying, uh, again, you've you've touched on it too, and I would never say that there's anything wrong with, you know, having that, in, you know, a bit of escapism, that kind of enjoyment and, and that, that bit of, um, um, yeah, yeah, on the weekend. But I suppose the, the whole thing about that would be is finding the balance and finding a, uh, I suppose, I think, is it a holy trilogy between uh, the mind, body and soul with, with your life that you can, you can, you know, have that bit of enjoyment, but also be conscious of the work that needs to be done uh, and kind yeah. of the maintenance that needs to be done throughout your life in order to to truly live your best life. I think that's a, you know, I'm living my best life is kind of a saying that's thrown around a lot. Um, but I suppose it's up to each individual to define what living their best life exactly entails. It's not going to be the same for everyone. Um, but I think to, to truly go in and actually really understand what that best life uh, entails because it may yeah. not be, you know, sacrificing five days out of the seven days of the week um, for the two days of enjoyment. Which is a difficult balance to strike. Um, but I, I think, again, it goes back to accepting responsibility for your life and what you actually want to get out of it because you have to ask yourself the question, if I was in the same place next year still giving out about where I am, would I be happy? Yeah. Do you think... Um, Probably not. Do you think that... So, I often find that, sorry, I don't know if I went there, I often find that um, people will, and look, I've been guilty of this too, but you complain about situation or circumstance and you may say, well, oh, well, look, this is shit because I'm in, I'm in a certain job or um, I feel terrible because he or she is a certain word, um, you know, and you kind of point the finger at other people and, and put the blame onto them. So you, it's kind of playing a blame game. Um, yeah. And I do think, yeah, okay, he or she might be, you know, a bitch or a dickhead or whatever. They may be that particular way. But I suppose if you can, if you constantly point the finger at others, you're waiting for them to change your circumstance or your situation. And then that whole piece of taking responsibility of, okay, well, they they may be a certain way or they may act a certain way or they may treat me a certain way um, and, and, and that's their own prerogative. That's their decision. I can't change them. They could, they will only change if they want to change themselves. But what I can change in that situation or circumstance is um, my tolerance for it or my level of respect for myself to say, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good. Therefore, I'm going to take ownership of my own actions and remove myself from the situation. And that could be applied to anything, I suppose. And, and often, maybe just to, to, to kind of finish on this point before answering a couple of questions, but oftentimes what happens with people as well is that when people make you feel angry, when when you look at somebody, and everyone has, I'm sure a lot of people probably have somebody that irks them more than others, Usually what it is about that person is that they make you feel something that's very uncomfortable in yourself. It's an intense sense of dislike. And when you feel that, you can kind of feel a little bit insecure, a little bit unhappy in yourself, not very happy, not very controlled, quite anxious, quite vulnerable, quite exposed. And it's easier to internalize that, get really angry, and then project it onto those people because now they are the source. They are my problem, therefore I am not the problem. So anybody, if you can make anybody else be your problem, you don't have to accept it as yours. Because you can't change other people. And for those, as you said, dickheads and bitches out there, you're not going to change them. That, that boss who gives you a hard time, you're not going to change them. You can only change how you, how you approach them. You can change the way you feel about them. 
but you need to sit down, you need to do the work to do that. And if people aren't happy, start making a plan to get out. Use the time that you have. Try and set a goal that right in three to six months, I want to be out of this job. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to throw in another quote. I've been full of them. But um, I suppose if you don't feel good today, it's about making a positive change today for a better tomorrow. And I think a lot of small changes along the way can add up to make a big difference. So Absolutely, I agree with that 100%. So I'm conscious of time and I know that I think you've got a meeting or you've got a conference call to, to join soon as well. Um, I think in terms of like questions that were submitted over over the week, um, into question boxes and stuff. I, I think we've kind of covered them off within the discussion already. Um, but I suppose maybe we might give a couple of minutes to, to see if anyone wants to pop up with a question into the into the comment box. Uh, and I suppose... Maybe, oh, sorry for interrupting you. Uh, maybe, maybe what we do that is there was one question that uh, someone messaged me during the week. Well, there was, there was a few, but this is just one that came up. Is that how do you, how do you protect yourself when you're trying to look after somebody with mental health problems, which is um, mm. a very common question. And I'm actually designing an anxiety seminar at the moment that'll um, hopefully be available the next couple of weeks. And, and, and that'll actually touch on that as well. But what I would often say to people is that if you're looking after somebody with a mental health problem, ask yourself, how willing are they to challenge it themselves? And how much is it, you know, how much of what you're doing is nice because you feel needed? Because a lot of people tend to tend to help people because it's nice to feel needed to have a purpose and that if they weren't helping that person they wouldn't have a purpose and also there's a worry so what I would say to you is put up a bit of a boundary and say that I can help you for a certain amount of time on these days but you have to do something in return this is obviously really difficult if people are clinically depressed they're going to have low motivation they're not anatomy where they're not enjoying things they'll be stuck in bed very tired so in, in that case they need kind of clinical interventions but for people that are struggling to look after someone with a mental health problem set appropriate boundaries set goals, make sure what you're doing is being reciprocated and try and support them with encouragement and, and a bit of love and I think that'll go a long way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and I suppose it is, it is like because obviously with discussion around mental health, it does have to go two ways. So I suppose firstly, the, the person who is, you know, experiencing low mood or is feeling, um, feeling that particular way, there's an owner, like they, they need to obviously engage or try and try and seek help and obviously other people need to obviously then offer help in order to encourage yeah. people to talk um, but then maybe decided as a discussion that isn't that doesn't happen often enough is when you do receive that kind of you know the information or you, you hear the story that someone else has to tell and um, firstly I don't think anyone needs to have all the answers for that person and um, I think a lot of the time it is just about being there to listen but I suppose but from hearing from hearing the stories and from from being um, involved in the conversation, it can lead you to kind of feel um, maybe feel a certain way and, and feel as though you have to kind of come up with the responses and the um, the answers too. Um, and I do think that over you know you're kind of saying it's the set kind of boundaries and set times throughout the week and the other person obviously who's experiencing uh, the depression or whatever it may be has to kind of take ownership for themselves and try and help themselves too. Um, and it's so that you're not kind of, um, you know, at the other person's beck and call. And I think it can be a difficult, it can be a very difficult situation to be in because obviously everyone, it's human nature, it's human nature that everyone, you know, I want to help other people. If someone is asking me for help, I want to give it. But at the same time, it's finding that balance between 
helping myself and then also helping you to help yourself too. Uh, and I think that's kind of um, an important piece to get out there. I think to, just to finish on that note, what I would also say to people is that are, that are suffering with anxiety is it's really, really scary. It's, it can be very, very terrifying to have that feeling and it can be quite upsetting to have an internal critic for people who are suffering with low mood or anxiety as well because often the two go in tandem and that you know there is help out there for people and no one is beyond hope and no one is beyond help. Everyone deserves it regardless of what you think, might think of yourself. And it's just about trying to reach out and trying to get in touch with somebody. There are services available. And um, I have a little bit on my website, CBT Solutions, that I, where I talk a little bit about OCD, I talk a little bit about anxiety, and I talk a little bit about um, low mood and self-esteem. Um, and and I, would just, I would just really encourage people to try and support you. I know it's a very difficult time, but you know, everybody is deserving of it. And I think, um, obviously, anyone who's listened here today, um, they've they've heard they've seen and they've heard um firsthand how how knowledgeable you are with regards to you know mental health cbt anxiety and all the rest and i'll be sure to leave i'll be sure to leave um you know your information and contact details within i think i can save this live so that it will remain on the page um, and i'll be sure to i'll be sure to share your kind of contact information if they do did want to reach out uh, and maybe go with a more one-to-one session so that they can you know get help and assistance that they that they feel they need and i'm sure that you'll be able to give them um, and then also i think it's important as well that to make to make people aware and, and i suppose maybe to remind people because there has been a lot of discussion around it already that there is plenty of you know services people help and assistance out there for anyone who is struggling and as the saying goes it's okay not to be okay but if you don't feel okay and um, let's try to do something about it and let's try to get the help that we need in order to to feel better so um, I think we didn't get any questions into the comment box. Uh, I suppose, look, if anyone wants to fire me a message, I'll do the best that I can to, to have a chat and have a bit of a help and assistance with them. And if anyone wants to, to message Connell, uh, or um, well, it'd probably be best off to contact on with the CBT underscore Ireland page, um, you know, feel free to pop in a message there as well. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, and no, that was a good conversation. And look... I suppose for anyone who is listening, conversations like this, they don't have to be formal. They don't have to be, you know, this big hullabaloo. They don't have to be this kind of um, topic of conversations that's put on a pedestal. It, it can be just as simple as two lads having a chat about things that are meaningful, things that uh, are important. And um, I encourage people to, to have them because even though we, we are like we've not talked about directly, you know, problems or issues that we're experiencing on a daily basis. But I do think by engaging the brain in, in these kinds of conversations, it definitely does help to kind of get a better view of the world and get more perspective on kind of different people's viewpoints and how they kind of, you know, go about their life on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Okie doke. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, and thanks so, so much for, uh, for joining me today. Cheers for having me. I'm sure we'll meet again. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. So that was the discussion that I had with Connell from CBT Ireland. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did enjoy the episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give a review of the podcast or to share it on your social media. It does help get the message out and it helps the podcast help other people and empower people to make a positive change today for a better tomorrow. So thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you again in the next one. Bye, 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 bye